1: And deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
2: You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. All right, everybody. It is a heck of a morning and it is thursday march 31st 2022 and we are back we made it to a second show they did not cancel us after the pilot episode and i am thrilled about that but hope your morning is great hope the coffee is strong the breakfast is filling and delicioso so now you can just sit back relax you can participate and let's talk some mma in the morning i am mike Heck. First off, before we get into everything, thank you for listening. I know it could be early for a lot of you and some people around the globe. It's it's the afternoon, so this works out swimmingly for you. But I also want to thank everybody for the incredible feedback from the debut episode on Tuesday. It was a lot of fun. The callers were fun. We had some great cameos from the MMA fighting staff as well and had a great time. But it's going to be a, a busy show today. I will say this. For those who will be listening after the fact on the Podcast Network, you'll be getting a little bonus content. We'll have an interview with Bellator Grand Prix play-in fighter Danny Sabatello. He's going to be fighting on the April 22nd card, Bellator 278, I believe. He's going to be fighting Jornal Lugo. The winner of that fight will go on to the Grand Prix and we'll face Leandro Ego for a chance to win the interim title at the end of it, a million dollars. So you can check that out later on today for those... That are going to be listening to the podcast. And for those listening live, that will be... Yeah, podcast that's at the very end of the program. But at the very end of the live portion, we'll have some breaking news for fans of BTL. We have a grudge match that a lot of people will be excited about. That'll go down 3 p.m. Eastern live on the MMA Fighting YouTube page. So stay tuned. Before that, we'll have the free-for-all. We take the lock off the door, so to speak. And you guys and gals will have the chance to break down the door... Ask questions about whatever you want, about MMA. If you want to get a little crazy, you want to talk WrestleMania, we can talk whatever you want. We'll go through MMA birthdays before that. We'll go through MMA history on this day. All sorts of fun stuff for your MMA morning show pleasure. But I can't even begin to tell you how many questions I've gotten about this man over the last couple of days. And I guess I need to thank Ariel Hawani for cutting a hell of a promo about this on the MMA Hour on Monday. But I've gotten so many messages on in, in my Instagram DMs about Nathan Diaz. He has been such a topic of conversation. And the big question has been, from everybody, is who will he fight? Like, who will Nate Diaz fight next? And obviously, there are a lot of questions that need to be answered. And if you listen to the MMA Hour on Monday, Ariel talked about the whole situation. He talked about Diaz getting offered the Hamzat Shemaya fight after... Shamayev ran through Lee Li Liang at UFC 267 in October, which was a terrible idea. And off topic, there are people out there that were suggesting that the UFC should have booked Hamzat Shamayev versus Nick Diaz. And there are actually outlets that reported that this fight was in the works. And I can tell you that is not the case at all. But a lot of people thought Hamzat versus Nick Diaz was the fight to make at some point last year. And this is before Diaz came back and fought Robbie Lawler. But I thought that was one of the worst ideas of all time. Guy's been out almost seven years, and you want to throw him in the octagon with Hamzat Shemaev? That is just insane. And after watching the fight with Robbie Lawler, I guess in hindsight, I think if, that if you didn't agree with me back then, when I blasted that idea around a year ago, you're probably on my side now. But sort of back to his brother, Nate, everyone involved knew that the fight between Hamza Shemaev and Nate Diaz would never get made. UFC used that to extend the contract because Nate still has one fight left on his deal, and that's all the UFC has to do. Ariel explained it perfectly, but for those who missed that, all the UFC has to do is offer these fighters three fights a year. They have to offer them fights contractually, and the fighters can choose whether or not they want to take the fight. They can say yes, they can say no, and if they say no, they can add months to the current contracts. So if you have one fight left in your deal, Francis Ghanu talked about this as well, That was the whole interim title situation with Derek Lewis and Cyril gone. They extended his contract another six months. He fought Cyril gone. That was like the whole contentiousness of the whole contract situation. He wants respect, so forth and so on. But I could go off about this whole thing, but Ariel kind of said it perfectly. But here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll reiterate upon what he said on, on Monday. Nate Diaz wants a fight. He wants to fight. The fight with Dustin Poirier has been on a platter for the UFC since December. A week or so, I don't even know if it was that long. After Dustin Poirier lost to Charles Oliveira at UFC 269, both guys were chirping back and forth. Both guys wanted a fight in January, February, March. Then it just became kind of whatever. Spring, summer, both guys wanted the damn fight. It was right there for you. And from a business sense, you have Nate for one more fight, potentially. He's a massive star. And the UFC is going to approach this as a kind of we'll scratch your back you scratch ours, we'll give you your fight, but let's re-sign, let's extend your contract, let's keep you around. And this simply is the big holdup here. This is why Nate's not fighting. The UFC can ice Diaz, they can shelf him as long as they offer him fights, but they also know that if he fights his last fight and they don't extend him or they don't re-sign him it's he's probably going to leave. He might go elsewhere. He might not, but he might go elsewhere. Maybe goes, maybe they're concerned about him going to Bellator or the PFL. I wouldn't be all that concerned because there isn't much at either promotion for Nate, but he could also go to boxing and box Jake Paul and people for better or worse would be very interested in seeing how that would play out. People would watch. And if you didn't watch, you'd be following along to see what happened. And the UFC knows that the UFC was always fine with Ben Askren boxing Jake Paul or Tyron Woodley boxing Jake Paul, because with all due respect, they were done with those guys. They were able to make as much money as they could promoting fights for those two individuals. Those wells were completely dry. Nate at this point in time, not so much. There's still some meat on that bone. And you would think that if they wanted a chance to keep Nate past this last fight, they would have just given him the Dustin Poirier fight. Not only do you keep Nate Diaz happy, but you keep Dustin Poirier happy and if Nate is happy today, maybe he'll be happy tomorrow. Maybe he'll be happy the next day or the next month. We know Nate kind of changes course a lot. But if you make him happy now, maybe he'll be happy down the road. Maybe he'll be happy six weeks from now. He sees you might want to play ball a little bit. Then if you want the third fight with Connor this year, which that seems to be the direction the UFC wants to go, he might give you a more prompt response to that. You give me the Poirier fight. I'll bounce back and give you the McGregor fight. But all this tells me is that they're just going to try to keep Diaz shelved until McGregor gets the AOK okay from the doctors, the A-OK from the UFC to book this trilogy fight. And the first call they'll make more than likely is to Nate Diaz once Connor is cleared. So we got Nate for one more fight. Let's do the trilogy fight in our octagon. And by the way, let me just say this. There's a big reason why the UFC wants to book that fight. And i don't blame the UFC for thinking this way. I don't know if this is the conversation they're having in the war room, but this is the way I see it. It's a completely bass-ackwards way of thought process and execution from the UFC's end. But the reason they are thinking this way and they want to get this fight done is because Nate has one fight left in his deal. Connor doesn't have a lot of meat left on his contractual bone either. So we could be living in a world where there's no Diaz and no Connor under UFC contract. And guess what those two guys are going to try to do? And they damn well should try to do it. They'll do the trilogy on their own, whether it's an MMA or boxing or you want to do a Demetrius Johnson rod tank type of situation or we do different rounds and different martial arts, whatever. They will set it up themselves. They will promote it themselves, and they will make 10 crap tons of money. And it's all theirs, and the UFC knows that. But the Diaz story is pretty fascinating right now. It's also a stout reminder that as much as we love the sport, there is some ugliness to it. There's pettiness because Nate Diaz is a star. People love him, and rightfully so, but the UFC will still make a floppity jillion dollars a year whether or not Nate Diaz fights for the promotion or remains on the roster. They just signed Israel Adesani to a big contract. Jorge Mazadal just got a big contract extension before the Colby Covington fight. And from all accounts, these are big money deals. And the UFC can keep these guys and make them happy, no doubt about it. All of these guys. But if you're not willing to do that with Nate or anybody else, either give him his fight that he's been asking for for the last several months or let the man go and let him live his life. I mean, that's it. There's many times as a combat sports fan, and you probably heard this if you're listening to the show right now, where the UFC specifically is compared to the WWE, right? And one thing about the WWE is when they let guys go or things get weird behind the scenes, When talents want to get released, when talents go off and blast WWE behind the scenes or in interviews or on social media, sometimes WWE is petty. Oftentimes, they'll just cut bait with you. You don't want to be here? Don't be here. But then who knows? You cut bait with them maybe three, four years down the road, maybe shorter. They find their way back. Look at Cody Rhodes right now. Cody Rhodes publicly was like, release me, WWE. Then he goes off and starts his own promotion, one of the founders of AEW, and guess what? By all accounts, he's coming back to WWE. So just because you let Nate Diaz explore other options today doesn't mean he wouldn't come back to the UFC down the road and that you couldn't do business together at some point. If you leave things with a delicious piece of cake under that tin pan you get at a fancy restaurant, you're going to be pretty uh, over like a like if you open up a, one of those tins and you saw a snack pack sized jello that my 9 year old would bring to school, he's not going to be happy about that, but if you open it up and it's a delicious piece of cake, he's going to remember the cake. It'll probably throw the jello in the trash. So, let's open up the lines here. Two questions for you guys for this topic of the day because this has become such a story and people want to know about it. One, do you believe we will see Nathan Diaz compete inside the octagon this year at some point? And if you do, who will he fight? Will he resign? What do you think happens with this guy? Raise the hand. Send the request. Let's bring in Yakyo back. I hope I got that one correct. You are the first voice of the day. If we can get you in here. The wheel is spinning. The wheels are turning. Hello, sir. Just make sure you're on mute. What's going on? Are you there? Oh, now I got you. Try again. We'll get you back in here. We lost you. Uh, we got Jed Mishu.
3: Maybe going for uh, for early morning jog, Jed Mishu? Uh, hmm? I'm about to, but I, I wasn't going to raise my hand. And then you just come out here absolutely slandering snack packs. I mean, what the <laughs> hell is that about, Mike? Snack packs are delicious, and the pudding ones,
2: yellow, not the gelatin ones. Those are awful.
3: I mean, a snack pack is a snack pack, Mike. That's not. That's not. Just saying, check yourself about about your dessert problems. You could have done anything else, <laughs> and Then you're just coming at snack packs. This things ruled as a child.
2: Yeah, they're 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 good, but are they better than a nice homemade piece of chocolate cake? Absolutely not.
3: Mm, I don't know if I'm like a nine year old. I I might take the I might take the snack pack.
2: My kid's hammering the frosting at least off of this cake. I mean, he may not eat the cake, but he's going to crush the frosting over the jello.
3: Well, maybe I don't know. All I know is I felt compelled to speak up for snack packs because I felt that they were being unfairly maligned.
2: Well, I appreciate that, my friend.
3: <laughs> uh, you you have a heck of a morning,
2: Mike. Heck. <laughs> <laughs> You too, Jed Michou. Always great to hear from you. Let's bring in the No Name MMA show. What's going on, No Name MMA?
4: We're not going to be fooling anybody and telling anybody that Nate is going to be fighting
5: anybody besides McGregor, right? There's no way that doesn't pour you if
2: I get stunned. Well, I mean. How confident are you that the McGregor fight gets done? We all see how lucrative that fight could be. It's massive. Whenever they want to make it, they've had it in their back pocket for a while, but Nate wants to fight Dustin Poirier. And Nate is seems to be doing just fine without fighting. And he's had many, many points in his career where he just didn't fight and he was fine with that. And you know how Nate is, he's a man of principle. So let's just say they shelved him and then they say they call him and they say, Hey, you could fight Connor in October, November, December. And he says, no, now what are you going to do?
5: Right. After being offered Hamza Chemaev, and if he turns down another fight, is that fulfilling? the? I mean, I don't know how much you know about the terms, but you know how they have, Ariel was talking about it, how they are supposed to be offered three fights. Does he just, just right off into the sunset then, if he just keeps on denying fights?
2: no that is the thing um there i mean for some cases like francis and ganu for for example because and we don't know this for a fact it just seems this is what everybody on his side is saying is that he has a deal that's structured like that like the, i guess the newer deals aren't really structured like that but some of the older deals were kind of the same thing you, you can be offered fights we can continue to extend the contract if you cannot make it to the fight or you turn it down for whatever reason but with Francis, he has a deadline. Chris Cyborg's dealing with the deadline as well for Bellator. Like, her, her she has one fight left in her deal. She's fighting, but if, they, if for some reason they couldn't offer a fight, come July, the contract is expired. It's done, and she can go off and do whatever she wants. Same sort of thing here with Francis. January 1st, from all accounts, he becomes a free agent, whether he fights or not. So... I don't think Nate's Diaz is I don't think Nate's deal is structured quite. I mean, maybe it is. I don't I have no idea. But from all accounts, the UFC is contractually obligated to offer these fighters three fights a year. And if for some reason they say no, they can extend the deal and keep these guys for another six months if they want. Nate's in an interesting spot right now because, like I said, he's a man of principle. And if he doesn't want to fight somebody, he's not going to fight him. And that's why I was like, that's why I didn't understand the Dustin thing. Like, just let him. Fight freaking Dustin. Like, Dustin wants to fight him. And Nate wants to fight Dustin. Like, wouldn't you, wouldn't you want to try to keep Nate happy if you want a chance to keep him? And if you don't keep him, who cares? Like, you have 700 other fighters on the roster. Nate's a star, but, like, you're getting all this money, like, this guaranteed money coming in. Everything else is cherry on top of the Sunday. I mean, is it really the end of the world if Nate Diaz goes to boxing and boxes Jake Paul? No, not for, not for the UFC. It would stink. Sure, that's a big name to lose, but it's not the end of the world when you have when when your yearly money's coming in or structured in that way. All this guaranteed money that's coming in from the TV deals and stuff. Who cares? Let Nate go box Jake Paul. Then what is he gonna do? Let him go to Bellator. Let him go to so what? So what? Just let the man go. If you don't want him to fight and he doesn't want to fight for you, just cut bait. Or give him what he wants. Give him the dust and fight. And then, you know, maybe you make him happy. And he goes and fights Connor after that. But I, I just don't understand the way this all works. I don't understand why the UFC does business this way. I don't understand. I mean, I the fighters we're getting to a point where the fighters just have to come together. It's never gonna happen. It's just not. Joe Lozon made some really good points. You're actually going to see that interview, I think tomorrow, that's going to drop. I spoke to Joe Lozon before his fight with Donald Cerrone, and we talked about this. And he made some really good points as to why we're not going to see like a viable, straight-up fighters union or association that everyone is all in on. It's just a silly thing. And as long and until that happens, these things are going to keep happening. These conversations are going to continue to happen on these shows and other shows and That's just the way that it is. So that is Nathan Diaz. I have a feeling, spoiler alert, we're going to be talking about this a little bit more on the MMA fighting
0: programming. So stay tuned for that. But the NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down.
1: and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
2: Let's get to birthdays before we open things up for the free-for-all. Uh, longtime UFC veteran, Rich Clemente. Remember Rich Clemente? 45 years of age. Mike Kyle, another UFC vet. He's also fought for WEC and Force, PFL, etc. He is 41. Marlos Kunin, 40 years old. MMA pioneer for the women's side. Ryzen fighter Ayaka Hamasaki is also 40 years old. on Ware, former UFC fighter, is 35. And Danny Sabatello, who's going to be on the podcast version of the show, 28 years 28 years old today. Happy birthday. Felipe Calhares is fighting Chase Hooper, May 21st. He is 27. I also want to shout out birthdays from yesterday because apparently there was like 700 birthdays yesterday, but let me just run off a few. Gerard Gourdeau, who competed and won. The first fight in UFC history at UFC 1 is 67 years old. So if you're new to the sport and you haven't watched that fight, pretty vicious, big kick to the face, tooth goes flying out. That was courtesy of Gerard Godot. So go back and watch that if you want some violence in your life on this Thursday morning. Others celebrating yesterday, this is a massive list. To name a few, Bibiano Fernandez, Melvin Gillard, Pam Sorensen, Dan Lozon, Denise Kielholtz. Shauna Dobson, Bellator fighter Nick Brown, LFA champ Jamie Lynn Horth-Wessels, Johnny Walker, Chaos Williams, Miles Johns, and Eclectic Bunch. Happy birthday to you all. Another weird day on the historical side because not a ton of fights happened in history on March 31st, but the UFC did have one March 31st event, and it was in 2010. UFC Fight Night Florian versus Gomi took place in Charlotte, North Carolina. Florian won via submission in the main event over Takanori Gomi. Roy Nelson knocked out Stefan Struve in the co-main event. Only March 31st event ever for the UFC. And Bellator also had one event on March, March 31st. That was five years ago, 2017, in Chicago. Main event, King Mo versus Rampage Jackson. King Mo gets the victory via unanimous decision. And interestingly enough, the feature prelim fight for Bellator 175 was a welterweight matchup between Justin Patterson, who lost a unanimous decision, to Joaquin Buckley. How about that? A lot has changed over the last five years for Numanza, Joaquin Buckley, who just got a big win in his last fight, and he had the Dust Commander, Commander Dale Brown, in his corner. So five years ago, he's fighting on the Bellator prelims And now, guy sitting there, one of the top knockouts in the history of the sport. He's got the Dust Commander in his corner. So a lot has really changed. So, All right. It is 821 for those listening live right now. We're about to knock the lock off the door. We're going to let you guys bust through. We're going to open it up to whatever you guys want. This is the free-for-all. This is where we have all the fun. You guys want to talk about anything MMA-related. WrestleMania, whatever. Raise your hands. We'll bring you on in. It will address as many of these as we can. Let's bring in Hayden Stark. Hayden, how are you? Just make sure you're on mute. Hayden, are you there? Oh, we lost him. Man, we're batting like 500 today with the callers. That's not good. We can do better than that. So whatever you guys want to talk about. I can reveal the BTL matchup if you want. We'll do that later on. Oh boy. Tristan Gordette. What's up?
4: Hey, what's going on, Mike? How you doing, I'm man? I'm doing alright. Um, my question is, so I guess a couple I guess like last week we you we started talking about Jack Shaw, how Jack Shaw was underrated. And you felt like you should have been fighting a ranked right guy two fights ago. And I'm like, okay. But I'm thinking to myself, like, is he better than Kyler Phillips? Is he better than the Namagomedov? Is he better than Umar? I have to see him fight one of those guys before I start giving him a rank fighter. I mean, I, I understand where you're coming from. With Jack, Troy. he's got five wins. Guy has some pretty good wins on on his record. I just I don't know if he's better than those guys. I mean, I mean, and that's the thing too. I, I feel like I feel like you. I don't know where you have these guys ranked as far as your favorite guys, because I remember you would talk, tell Montel, you're really high on Montel Jackson. In the flyweight division, you're really high on Jeff Molina. You said, Muhammad, Mala, um, I guess, Malayev, that you think he's going to be um, well, possibly. It sounds like this guys going to beat everybody in that flyweight division. So, like, I just need to know where you got these guys ranked at some point where you got to be thinking about, like, hold on, can he beat these guys? Um, referring to Jack Shore.
2: Thank you, Tristan. Um, yeah, Jack Shore is an interesting one because he's really good. He's one of those UK guys, and and I understand the sort of trepidation with some of these guys that come over from Cage Warriors and come over from that scene because they come over with a lot of fanfare and a lot of hype and great records, and more oftentimes than not, they don't really come through on the big stage, but Jack Shore has so far. He's gotten some big wins, and I think Timor Valiev was sort of the litmus test matchup for him, right? What is he going to do against a guy like Timor Valiev, who's probably a fringe top 15 guy, probably 18, 19, maybe top 20, somewhere around there. And that fight was awesome. And Timor has a chin on him. Holy moly. And Jack Shore went out there and got the job done. So that's a great win. This division is just so crazy right now. 135 is so deep and so loaded that like, you have your top guys, but then if you look from maybe 12 to 40, you can mix and match a lot of these guys, and all of them have really good – like look at Chris Gutierrez right now. Chris Gutierrez coming off that crazy knockout win, the spinning back fist uh, against Dana Bakary. Dana Bakary was a very underrated guy. Chris Gutierrez is unbeaten his last seven fights. He's a super underrated guy. So this that just says more about this division, and there's just so many great fights. But breaking into the top 15 is going to be really tough, man. It's going to be really difficult to do. And a lot of the guys that are in the top 15 that have worked so hard to get there, they're going to want to try to fight guys ahead of them. And it's going to be really difficult right now because when you get these unranked tough guys like Saeed, like Jack Shore, like Gutierrez, the risk-reward factor just isn't really there. It's not high on the reward factor. But this division, especially in that point, I'm ready to see some movement, but it's going to be really tough to get there. I got to make this happen right now. Is this, is this for real? Raging Al in the house? What's going on?
6: Yo. I'm mute. I'm hey, here. Al. What's up? What's How are you? What's going on? What a surprise. Yeah, I woke up and I saw you guys were on. I, I like this in the morning. This is good. The morning Thank morning you. radio show. The MMA radio show. It hasn't been done. Why not, I... Al? We deserve this. All the other sports have it. Why can't MMA it? Why not you, my man? <laughs> i love it i'm trying my best so i've been i've been following the this this whole week and it seems like recently ariel's big on the open scoring i don't know to me it seems like the open scoring thing how do you feel about the open scoring i feel like that traumatic, it, it changes everything that would that would change the sport you know
2: how though how would it change it
6: uh, it takes away. I think it just takes in between rounds. You, you, that's what you'd look at, you know. In between, the, in between every round, everyone's going to be looking up at the scoreboard, you know. And how many guys does it really affect? Like, I think it would just change a lot. It would change the vo- like the just the end, just the, the everything. I think even like, even like bad judging. that's, like part of the, That's like even like part of the sport now. I don't know you're with it. you're with you're with open scoring you like it
2: i mean i'm not as passionate about it as, as ariel is and, and, and some other folks yeah. but i mean i see value in it because like look at matt brown like the matt brown situation he thought he won the first two rounds he would have obviously approached the third round differently not not that he didn't give everything he had there but like one of the big reasons against open scoring al is that it's going to change the way the third round is like the guy who's up two rounds, potentially is going to coast and just try to like run around the cage and do everything he can to just avoid any sort of risk taking. And I don't know if I buy that, especially with the way things are structured and there's bonus money and all that stuff. And like all this other stuff, like, do you really think out, do you think that if you, let's just put yourself in it in, in this situation, let's say you're fighting somebody you're up 2018, you know, you're up 2018 Would that change the way you fought in the third round? Or would you continue to go for the kill? Like, how would you approach it if you knew you were up two rounds on all three judges' scorecards?
6: Yeah, you know, I I don't know. I'll tell you one thing, though. If I thought I was up two rounds and then they flashed the scorecards in between the the second and the third, and I I find out now that I'm down, I might have a mental breakdown. I might jump over the cage and attack the judges. I don't know. It's like, but you God. could also
2: you could also choose not to look at the scoreboard.
6: Very true. But then, what's the point of it? Uh,
2: I think it's more for the like it for some fighters would want to know. Like some fighters yeah. would be completely new. I remember watching the first Invicta card where they they had the open scoring, and some some were the fighters were all over it. Some of the coaches were all over it, but there were certain fighters and coaching staffs so they're like, "Do not even look at it. Like, don't look at it at all. Like, you have an option." They can flash it on the board, and if you want to look, and it's hard not to, you can. But if you choose not to and just ignore the noise, like you could do that too. So, it's weird. We got to figure out a way to do it. But I would like to. I think. I think what I just want to see out is I just want to see it attempted. I want to see it tried out. Like give it a give it a six month run. Different commissions, yeah. Like give it a six month run and see how how it works. Like if it affects nothing, then get rid of it. If it makes the fights better. If it makes things more interesting, keep it like, just try it. Just give it a shot. If it doesn't work fine. If it does, I mean, great. Like you have a new exciting thing. And if you, if it doesn't work at all, like it changes nothing. Like we just go right back to the way things were. Right.
6: Yeah. I guess that's a good point, but uh, I I just have a feeling that it sounds all good in theory, but then when you add something like that in, it just changes. It's just going to change the experience. I don't know. i I'm, I I can understand why in certain situations it would have been useful, but in 99% of fighting and MMA and especially in the UFC, I think it's I think we're in that aspect we just need better judging. We need to figure out the judging. Having having the 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 fighters know that there's a bad judge. It's uh I'd rather have good judging in, and then we don't we don't need to let the fighters know that they're down, and it's. It's the it's that's that's the beauty of of fighting sports is that you don't know the fighters got to go out there without without really knowing if they're if they're winning if they're losing you know it could be close you might have to pull you might have to finish them this round where in 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 the open sc- scoring you would all right you have to finish them this round you know it's like oh you might have to it's, there's a little bit of mystery in there I don't know, I think it's I just I'm I'm an old school guy I like the old school way it's been this way forever. I think to add something like that, to add something like that, where it's like let's test it out for six months. It's a little, a little. Uh, it's a, it's a lot to 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 do something like that in such a it, definitely in the UFC to play around with something like that. I could understand in Invicta. I don't know how's how's it been going in Invicta.
2: I mean, so far so good. It's it's there and it's it's an option. And as 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 a fan, it kind of takes away some of the mystery. I will say that because you know what's going to happen if you go to, unless it's like a third round and like the judges are all over the place in the first two, like, and it's one, one after two rounds. Like there is still some mystery if it's a three round fight, but for the most part, if a fighter's up two rounds and it goes the distance and there's no surprise when Joe Martinez or whoever the ring announcer is, is reading the score. So I get it from like a fan's perspective. It kind of takes some of the mystery out of it. Cause when Bruce
6: buffer is reading off split decisions, it's,
2: I mean, it's it's dramatic television.
6: It's intense, right? That's like the <laughs> most intense it gets. The fight's intense, but then when it is a the, a, a barn burner of a fight, and they are up there, both guys are exhausted. You know, the the refs in between, you don't know which hand he's going to raise. Like that's uh, to take that away from an experience. That to me, that's I don't. Know, that's a big part of the. That's a big part of the fight game. But yeah. I- it's are
2: you, gonna, I, are you gonna be in jackson are you gonna be in jacksonville i'm, I'm i will be there i am be in al joe's corner i will be there as well maybe we can uh maybe we can have a little chat down there absolutely 100 percent. that would be amazing al well, your
6: site is impeccable i appreciate you very much oh i i appreciate you my man keep it up keep up the good work the the mma the mma uh mma fighting morning show let's do it i'm 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 in Let's mm-hmm. do it. Let's yep. make it happen.
2: On location, Jacksonville, Florida. Heck in Iaquinta. I've dig- we can put your name first, whatever you want.
6: No, no, you're the man. Let's do it. <laughs> Thank you, Al. All right, take care.
2: The magic of morning radio, my friends. How about that? Ray and Al coming in, talking open scoring. Good stuff. Might as well make an announcement here because we got somebody joining us on the line right now, Mr. New York Rick, who is uh, – He's had a, a, an interesting week, weighed in on the Will Smith-Chris Rock controversy. His take has not been treated very well, if you will. I mean, Eric has been known to, uh, to be on those scenes, but now we have to add another thing that's, that associates him with the MMA hour, the Ronda Rousey take, and now we got to throw this take on there. And New York Rick has an opportunity to take on Connor Burks on BTL, some breaking news. 3 p.m. Eastern. It's New York Rick versus Connor Burks on BTL, the MMA Hour. Backstage team are getting after it. New York Rick, good morning, my man. How are you?
7: A uh, heck of a morning, Mike. Uh, great show so far. Let me correct the record a little bit on a few things. One, uh, <laughs> Connor has the opportunity to take on me. I don't have the opportunity to take on Connor. Let's let's just be extremely clear right. about who the A side of this is and who the veteran in the game is um and two um i think history will be kind to my take um i think connor and ariel in particular have gone a little hard on on the timeline of my prediction that will smith and uh chris rock will be working together and doing the interviews and and in a movie together um i think history will be kind i think we will see that happen is it going to happen within a week did i did i mean for it to be taken so literally no uh but again you know as is usually the case in these things history will prove me correct and you know as it relates to the ronda take uh, you know let, let's just get into that um nobody now a big a bigger more vocal advocate for mental health than Ariel hawani yet somehow that take has has been forgotten uh, on what it actually was was meant to signify but but you know this is not the time or place for that let's let's have a conversation about uh open scoring which i thought you know leave it to the new yorker Ally quinta to just nail it um this will materially change the sport in a way that we are seeing measured right now like i think you mike said let's see it tried kansas is trying it it has been tried and it has made no material difference to uh the fight um and nobody is kind of talking about that everybody seems to be uh, operating in this um, nebulous space where hypothetically it's going to have X effect, when in actuality it hasn't had any effect that has been noticeable or made anybody um, want to change it. As an example of something in the sport that um, was tried and then did have an effect, uh, early morning weigh-ins. That was something that was tried, seen the success of, and then implemented uh open scoring is being tried right now and not one other commission is looking at it and saying yeah this is something that we need to do so i think that speaks volumes um and as far as mma versus boxing versus uh nba versus nfl uh it's not that sport this is primarily an entertainment product it is not a meritocracy as far as fights being put together is concerned uh nor is it um a, a stick and ball x is an o sport it's an entertainment product and that will Uh, hurt the entertainment value of the fights if we know going in to the third round that somebody is going to either coast and I said this on the MMA Hour and this take was met with a lot more um, support I don't think it's only the fighter who's up who's potentially going to coast out of a fight. I think there's a a high potential for if a fighter is down two rounds to just pack it up but not quit or not throw in the towel uh, because they don't want to be seen as, as somebody who does that Uh, And just kind of coast through the rest of the fight. I think it will hurt uh, the entertainment side of the product. Uh, And that's the end of my rant.
2: I mean, this guy, a little little teaser for for BTL when he, when Connor Burks tries to challenge him and knock him off the top of the mountain, New York Rick, great stuff. Hey, listen, I mean, I'm saying try outside of Kansas, and I know other commissions are looking at it and they don't think it makes much of a difference and they think things are the way they are, but I'm not saying like UFC 273, like let's just do open scoring and just introduce it for Jan Sterling or Volkanovsky Korean zombie or anything like that. Throw it on the contender series, like do it on the contender series. That'd be a nice little spot to try it. People care about the contender series, but it's not like we're not getting a million pay-per-view buys in the contender series. Like, try something just just try it vegas just try it and if it does nothing then it does nothing but i mean on the contender series you would think that if it's going to improve or if it's going to entice the fighters to give it their best effort especially knowing they're down two rounds and there's a freaking ufc contract on the line maybe they'll step it up a little bit but maybe try it there and see how it works i know just seeing it in victor i know like, some of the smaller regional so- shows have, have tried doing it, too, but I haven't really heard much it in terms of results. But like I said to, uh, to the great raging ally, Quinta, it's a conversation, but it's not something that, like, we have to have open scoring or we don't have to have open scoring. I'd like to see it tried, like, on a bigger scale, but if it doesn't happen, it's, it's okay. We got to get big effing brass in here. He's been waiting patiently. Let's see if we can get him on. Big F and brass. Are you there? Hello. Good morning. Oh no. All right, try again. KRL, you are next. KRL, how are you?
4: Just get on mute. Hey Mike, how's it going? Good, how are you? Good, good. Um, I like I like just woke up and uh I like, woke up and turned my phone on and joined <laughs> Twitter spaces at a single single sip of coffee. Um but regarding this whole open scoring thing, I do think that most of the people or a lot of the arguments that come in from, from certain fighters pertain to the fact that in a lot of cases, like Matt Brown I said, Matt Brown was like positive that he won. So the judging issue, I think, is really important too. I was pretty confident that he did not win, um, and I think that there's a type of frustration that occurs with that. Um. So what? How do you think that fighters' understanding of the judging criteria factors into this conversation?
2: Um. I mean, th- there's so many holes in the judging, KRL. It's, it's unbelievable. The, K- the, the judging sucks right now. There are some good judges. But, I mean, here's the thing, and I've said this many times. Who the hell wants to be a judge right now? There's, like, no money in it. And you never get praised for a good scorecard but you get dumped on for a crappy scorecard. Poor Derek Cleary. I mean, I have just destroyed that man over the last <laughs> couple of weeks since the UFC London card. That 3027 scorecard for Corey McKenna was awful. It was so bad. But you never get praised for, oh, that was a great 29-28, and you get paid like a couple cup, cup, cups of Dunkin' Donut coffee, maybe a, a dozen munchkins, and a couple hundred bucks. Like, no one wants to be a judge. And why would you be? There's no incentive. Like little kids, when they go off to school for career day, are not getting up in front of a, their, their classmates and saying, I want to be an MMA judge. No one's saying that because there's no incentive to be an MMA judge. It's got to be the most miserable job ever. But I could see like fighters doing it. I could see fighters doing it because it's just they love the sport that much. And there are people out there that are passionate enough about the sport that could be good judges. But right now, we don't have that there are some fighters who do judge on the regional scene. They do. But for the most part, like these are people who work for the commission and they're like, okay, this MMA thing, I'll judge that. Or they're boxing judges and they don't know how to score MMA. They don't know the new criteria or at least they don't have it down. But I'd like to see, we're seeing MMA, former MMA fighters, seeing like Frank Trigg, we've seen Chris Lieben, seen some other fighters going over to the referee side of things. I'd like to see some more fighters come over to the judging side of things because it would make things more interesting. They care. They're passionate about it. They know what they're talking about. These are the kinds of things that need to change. But just passionate, maybe even like a passionate fan, like find a way to make it interesting and find a way to inspire better judging by becoming a judge yourself. But I understand why you wouldn't because there's no incentive in it. There's no money and no one gives a shit. It's just it's so brutal. But I would like to see fight like I like to see more fighters just do it because they love the sport and they love just watching the fights. And then maybe they can sort of control the narrative a little more. But it sucks to be a judge and I would never want to do it.
0: Uh, let's get a in here. He's been
2: probably waiting the longest. And then I see another very special guest who wants to jump in here and we'll get to him in a moment. Ahid, How are you?
8: Hey Mike. Hey everyone. How are you? Good. How are you? Not too bad. So, okay. Open scoring. So I was on this is a topic that Ariel talks about a lot. I was on Ariel's green room show a couple of times. Um, he's brought this up. Um, and then, like, I, I'm opposed to it. Like, one of the reasons is because of what Al said about it takes away sort of the naturalness of, like, it being a fight and it turning it into a bit more of a game. Like, as in, you know, you will know that fighters will try to like play this type of thing of if they're ahead, they're going to try and coast and maybe they'll look to take you down. It'll just be body, body head. And no matter how many times the ref says they told the fighters in the back, like not to do that. We know that it plays out on the ground. They, they end up doing this body, body head or like a couple jabs on the feet and just, you know, just really just trying to coast out the round. Um, what I tried to suggest was, And also, if it's just open scoring, that doesn't actually change the quality of the judges, right? Like, I I hope people realize this. It's just people will know more. But in terms of the actual quality, it could end up being, like I said, people complain more. But how much does that really change people have always been complaining so i thought like yeah we've got to change the quality i thought maybe we could have uh, different sections of judges like bringing judges from muay thai bringing judges from uh jiu-jitsu bringing judges um from wrestling and then also bringing the old fighters i brought this up ariel shut it down completely saying oh do you think chuck liddell wants to spend his time doing this yeah i i do i think people want to give back there's fighters going into like media there's fighters going into different uh things to give back to mixed martial arts to be a better like um yeah to add more of their time to it so i do think we should have those different sections because right now it's just boxing um yeah they don't really understand fully like as in full combat you know so bring in these different um People, for example, like one person I'd love to see judge apart from his own fighters is Coach Duke Rufus, like as in he loves like, from a striking point, he loves and talks about it so passionately. Um, but obviously, don't let him like coaches on like judges on fighters. But the point is, is like bringing people like that, as in just to really from different specialities. Um, and yeah, we could do it that way. That's my two cents.
2: Thank you, Ahed. Uh, good stuff right there. Yeah, one one interesting point that you that you brought up was mm-hmm. now we know how the judges look at each and every round. Like poor Derek Cleary would have got destroyed at UFC London. Like each and every round, we would have just absolutely annihilated him on social media. So I can understand why judges don't want to put scoring their their job is hard enough, and now you have to deal with it more. At least like, at least you get to wait until the fight's over before a judge gets crushed on social media but now you get to crush him every round yeah that's tough i get what you're saying and now we bring in the co-host the co-matchmaker from on to the next one my best friend and yours i made it good morning i made it i'm so
5: excited my best friend what a what a great show you're having and uh uh, second this is the second episode right this is number Number two. two yeah fantastic fantastic what a way to wake up and uh I just I just watched this to uh, our dear New York Rick. What a way to wake up with people calling out this uh, open scoring agenda that is being pushed by uh, by the elitist Era Hawani in the MMA hour. I'm so glad I I am sorry I haven't heard the entire show. I don't want to repeat everything uh that uh, New York Rick said and and some of our very very intelligent listeners have said, but I do hear that a lot of people are having a moderate level headed approach to the open scoring discussion and not suggesting that implementing it will create some uh, utopia for mma is that is that correct what i'm hearing so far
2: it's no no one's really supported it here <laughs> uh, it, it all started with Raging ally quinta he brought it to the table and it has been the open scoring conversation for the last 25 minutes and no one really uh-huh. seems to be uh on ariel's side here
5: well let me say obviously i think the opinions of ally quinta and matt brown are so valuable i mean they are like I said, they are legit they are actual fighters they have uh, and if, very experienced fighters who have seen it all, who have been on both sides of decisions, with, uh, you know, close calls, uh, close calls that went their way, close calls that didn't go their way. So I think like, as far as fighters go, I like to Matt Brown, two guys you definitely want to listen to, whether I agree. Uh, I'm sorry. And, and, and Al I assume was for open scoring.
2: No, he was not. Oh, okay. but he did. He, I mean, he was like, eh, maybe we could try it, but he didn't know. He's not into it. Well, definitely. He's, he's def- not. definitely. Ariel's on a, on, Ariel's on a, on an island by himself it seems at least at least according to heck of a morning listeners
5: I, I, so i will say i'm a little more moderate than new york rick is i i, I do agree it's it's certainly worth trying i i am I'm, I'm i'm just always pushing back against the discussion that it is like oh it will it is such a has to be done thing and i, I know you mentioned that mike you said let's try a contender series i think it, i think is an awesome idea I think it's great. They've been doing it uh, in Invicta and in Kansas and some other smaller cards. So I, I agree it's worth trying, I, I, but I just want people to have their expectations sort of, you know, kept to a certain level as far as what effect it might have. It might be great. It might be great. I'm not saying it, it, it can't be, but I just, there's this strong side of people who are for, like it seems everyone who's for open scoring, they're like crypto bros. It's like, it's like, it's like, you have to make it a lifestyle. You can't just like kind of think it's a good idea. You have to be all in. And that's like, no idea is like that in mma everything is is like okay an okay idea but you have to you have to be uh you know you have to have some some self-control here i'm talking about this now i will push back on some of the things you mentioned is that can i do that on your morning show
2: i mean how dare you go ahead
5: (laughs) i don't like to start the morning off with conflict i'm glad we're all mostly in agreement that open scoring you know needs to more scrutiny but uh i don't like the idea of fighters becoming judges i think matt brown said this too on on the may hour uh that you know they they could be too biased he said like, he said he's not a fan um they could be too now everyone's gonna have biases fighters depending where you get them from depending on their level of experience i'm sure there's someone there who could be more impartial but i feel like people would want would want to push sort of more well-known names in there and I, I just don't know any well-known names that wouldn't have ties to so many fighters um and camps and regions and things like that so it's not the worst idea i do i do like them being referees judges might be a bit difficult to, to parse fighters uh i don't think this is something you mentioned but fighters yeah I, I, a lot of people touch on this not knowing their criteria is just i don't know how they can make an argument for open scoring when so many of them clearly say like they don't understand the criteria Again, all the respect to matt brown i thought brian barberina won that fight if you're matt brown of course you thought you won you're in there you're the one doing the work he's not you know you can't say he's wrong just as an outsider i thought i thought uh Barbarina, i did not find that to be a robbery um and, and, I, and I do agree some with, with New York Rick that like knowing the score at the end might mess with a fighter's head in a different way, whether they're up or down. Because uh, again, I suppose if you don't know the criteria and you thought you were up two rounds and you find out you're down two, I don't know what that's going to do to you. I don't know if it's going to make you more effective. It might just totally screw you up. But there, there's really no way to know. And the last thing I'll say is I actually disagree with judging, Mike. I actually think judging is better than ever. And this is something uh, Eric McGregor, a great, great lawyer out of Vancouver, uh, tweeted on uh, yesterday. That actually actually judging is actually really good which is what makes those bad uh scorecards stand out so much uh when we see the occasional like i don't even want to name names because i actually think like i said judging is not terrible we don't give enough credit i think for how well the judges have done with some really close fights over the last year 18 months so yes there's still terrible 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 cards that should be mentioned those judges should be named and shamed but i think we'll be surprised if they sort of reviewed all these kind of close fights that have happened recently Judges actually kind of do an okay job. So they could be way better. Absolutely, they could be better. I don't think it's in this dire state. I actually think judging is is okay, uh, needs improvement, but is okay. I've I've had very few chances to do robbery reviews lately. Let me put it that way. Um, So there we go. That's my long piece. I apologize for all the listeners for having to put up with that.
2: The best friend. You are right. I will say, like, the Arizona Commission, those judges, the Benson Henderson, Islam Mamedov fight, they nailed it. Benson Henderson won that fight. Just saw it this past Saturday. Kai Carr France against Askar Askarov. Judges got it right. Kai Carr France won that fight. He deserved to win. And all of them got it right. So well done. And you're right, AK. You are right. The judging, those who judge correctly are getting better. But those who don't judge correctly are getting worse. So that's the way I look at it. But yeah, that you make a great point that, you know, the some of the judging has improved and it sticks out when it's really really terrible. All right, we're gonna take a few more. We had a couple people waiting, so we'll get through them and then we'll call it a morning. Uh, <laughs> mixed martial car accidents. What's up? Are you there? Make sure you unmute. Good morning. Oh no, you're muted again. What happened? Come back. All right. How about Wally? Let's get Wally in here. Good morning, Wally.
4: All right. There you go. I think I'm unmuted. Hello. How are you?
2: I'm good. How are I'm you? Good.
4: I wanted to get your thoughts on a fighter that not many people talk about, or at least I don't hear him talk about, uh, Javed Basharat. I think, I'm, I mean, it's two fights that I've seen. Looks pretty dynamic. Do you think he has a title run in him?
2: Uh, I like Javid Basharat quite a bit. He is a very good prospect. I liked his performance on the Contender Series, especially everything he had to go through on the build to that Contender Series, the weigh-ins and, and everything that happened, some of the the awful sort of racist, racist things that were said about him during that face-off. And then he goes out and finishes the guy and gets a UFC contract. So I, I, the guy's good man. He's twelve and zero. He's undefeated for a reason. He's got a great personality. He seems like a really nice guy. A guy that you could sort of build around in terms, like for those who look at the sport in a negative light, Javi Basharat is one of those guys where you're like, okay, this is an intelligent, very talented guy who speaks well and can fight his ass off and his must-watch television. So the the Oren Callan win on the contender series, the the big submission win, that was great. Trevin Jones is a very tough matchup for a lot of fighters. And to fight Trevin Jones in your UFC debut and perform the way that he did, tremendous stuff. Tremendous stuff. Title run, I think it's a little too early to say because, again, we're looking at a division that Chris Gutierrez and Jack shore and some of these other guys are not ranked in right now. So it's going to be a little, I mean, we talked about this earlier, getting into the top 15 at one thirty-five is very, very difficult right now. It's very tough to do. Does he have the talent to eventually get there? I think so, but too early to say whether or not he's a, a guy who can make a run for a title. We got to see more and it's going to be a little bit, it's going to be a little while before he gets that chance. Alright. Dana Spite. You are the final word, my man. Good morning. Are you there? Dana Spite. Five seconds. Dana Spite, are you there? Oh no. All right, man, Stevie Ray gets the last word. Stevie Ray, how are you?
7: I'm good, mate. Are you I'm there? Good, Mike. How are you doing today, mate? Good, yourself? Yeah, all good. Uh, I was just wondering your thoughts on uh, two lightweight contenders. So, obviously, it's been a while since we've seen Gregor Gillespie fight and uh, Raphael Fitzsieff as well, obviously, his fight with RDA got canceled. Uh, you know, fight night. What's, what do you think's next for those two? Obviously, they're both in the top ten, both making a run. Towards the up end of that division, and obviously all the old dogs in that division are kind of falling away a bit, aren't they? Your likes of like Dustin and like Chandler and stuff like that. So what's next for those two?
2: Great question. Very high on both of those guys. Greg Gillespie coming out that crazy fight with CDF, and then Fazev. Man, I there's two choice. There, there's two options. I think Vaziev is probably in a slightly better position because he was paired with RDA. And the fight got called with it was no fault of his own. So, I mean, if they could rebook the RDA fight, I'd be fine with that for, for Fazeev. I liked the, how everybody talked about it, the Raphael versus Rafael matchup. I'd like to see it. I'd like to see how good Fazeev is. RDA looked looked really good in that last fight. Or, I mean, I think Fazif's a little bit ahead. If Gillespie doesn't get the Fazif fight, unfortunately, I think he's going to be in a really tough spot and he's probably going to have to fight Armand Sarukian. And that is a nightmare matchup for almost every guy in that division. Although Gregor Gillespie brings some interesting challenges to Sarukian, I think that's what we do. Fazif, might have to wait and see a little bit. I'd like to see if they could try to book the RDA fight because I don't think RDA is getting these big fights that he wants. I just don't see it happening. So, Maybe rebook the RDA Fazeev fight and then Gillespie. I think Gillespie Fazif could happen, but I actually think that Gillespie's gonna end up fighting Armand Sarukian and that just is a tough matchup, man. It's a really tough fight, really tough fight, but I would like to see it. I'd like to see how that would play out because that'd be a really good test for Sarukian. Gillespie is a tricky, tricky dude and I'd be really interested in seeing that fight. So I hope that's what we see. With that said, It is almost nine o'clock Eastern time in the morning and I got to get to work. I got to get to work. I got to write articles. I got to put this podcast together. I got to do a whole bunch of stuff. So you guys are the best. We are two shows down. We'll be back again. The good news is we'll be back again tomorrow. We'll be back again tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. And we'll close out the week in the right way. with another edition of heck of a morning. And maybe we'll just do the free for all segment straight through. We'll just take calls the entire time maybe i'll just rant for like two minutes and then we'll turn it over to you and we'll let you guys get after it maybe that's how we'll handle fridays because this is the first week we're still trying to get the pieces together and figure out how we're going to handle all this but what a great show we had some very special guests we heard from jed new york rick ak we heard from ally quinta who started this open scoring conversation and uh what a show it has been so i appreciate you guys very much for those listening on the podcast network you're going to get an interview with danny sabatello as he prepares to earn his spot in the Bellator Bantamweight Grand Prix. And then BTL, if you missed it, it's going down for all you MMA Hour fans. New York Rick taking on GC, Connor Burks, 3 p.m. Eastern MMA Fighting YouTube channel. Watch it live. or You can listen after the fact on the MMA Fighting Podcasting Network. So thank you all very much. I am Mike Heck. Have a heck of a morning. We'll see you tomorrow. All right, let's say hello once again to Danny Sabatello, who the last time he was on this program was not a happy camper because the Bellator Bantamweight Grand Prix, the lineup, the brackets, the seedings, seedings were not really, but the brackets were all put out there. His name was not on it. And then we found out last week that his name is now on it, but at least kind of like the NCAA tournament used to have 64 teams and it had 68. We had a couple of play-in games. Now we got ourselves some play-in fights at Bellator 278, April 22nd in Hawaii. Danny Sabatello is fighting Jordan Lugo, which is actually one of the fights that he wanted, but an opportunity to enter the Grand Prix chance to become the interim champion and win a million dollars is now yours, Danny. How are you?
9: Dude. Awesome. And it's great to have this opportunity just because, I was really pissed off, honestly, that I wasn't in the Grand Prix. Um, I'd be lying if I said I didn't think about it a lot, uh, but I, I am excited that I get to have Jordan Lugo because I've actually been calling him out for years now. We're both from South Florida and I've been calling him out even on the regional scene. So it's kind of just the cherry on top of the cake, getting to fight this pussy.
2: I remember, I remember you've been, since you got to Bellator, since you won your Bellator debut and you beat Brett Johns, Jornel Lugo is one of the names you've always had on your uh, coming, coming out of your mouth. When was the first time you called him out? Do you remember?
9: I think it was uh, in Titan. after our, one of my wins, I was calling him out just because, you know, people think he's a good fighter and honestly, I think he sucks. Um, I think it's an easy fight for me, but it's also a good fight for me because I could steal his thunder. I think he's eight and right now. So it's going to be a good win. You know, he also had that, went over Brian Moore in uh, Dublin, Ireland, I believe maybe just like a month or two ago. So he's gained some momentum and people think he's good. And it's just going to be even better for me when I go out there and just absolutely dog him.
2: So let's go back to last week because we found out that Sergio Pettis was injured out of the Grand Prix altogether. Injury required surgery, found out it was a torn ACL. So we're like, okay, there's a glaring spot that needs to be filled. We find out Juan Archuleta is now going to fight Rafian Stotts for the interim title. Then we found out later that same day that James Gallagher is out as well. Already had surgery. He's out of the Grand Prix. So we have these two glaring spots. Scott Coker said after Josh Hill's knockout win over Jared Scoggins, he is an alternate. Like this is is the alternate for the Bantamweight Grand Prix. So I just assumed when I woke up the next morning... Josh Hill would be the guy and there would be one spot left. Turns out now, now Josh Hill has to fight in a play-in fight. You're fighting in a play-in fight as well. When were you made aware of all these moves, all these different things happening? When did you know that you were you had an opportunity to fight for a million dollars now?
9: Yeah, I think it was last week I got the call from my manager that I was going to fight Jordan Alugo, but at the time it was it was not for the Grand Prix. It was just to fight him. Um, but I kind of thought something was up because I noticed on the card was also Barzola versus Hill. And I just thought, you know, these are kind of like two fights where any four of us could be in the uh, wild card position. So I didn't know if, you know, maybe they were going to surprise us and make it a 16 man bracket. And then our fights also counted. But I just like how it played out. It's kind of like a wild card situation. You know, this is basically the playoffs. You know, every sport has a playoffs. This is the playoffs for MMA. And in the playoffs, there's always a wild card game. Same thing in in baseball. Um, So it's awesome. But yeah, I got the call from my manager last week. I'm fighting Jordan Lugo. I'm so fucking pumped about that. I'm already head over heels about this matchup. I know I'm going to smash him. He calls back maybe the next day, two days later, and he said, guess what? You're in the motherfucking Grand Prix. I was so (laughs) happy. I've never been so happy. I was screaming, fuck yeah, maybe for five minutes straight. So it all just worked out in the end. You know, I was so pissed about it, not being in it. And, and now that I'm in it, it just makes it even sweeter now since I thought I wasn't going to be in it. And I know these guys are scared too. You know, I, I know Higo is going to be watching this fight. And I know once he sees I beat the shit out of Jornal Lugo, he's going to be scared to fight me.
2: I was, I was going to say, I, felt, I thought Josh Hill got screwed the most out of everybody because like I said, he's the guy that's supposed to get the spot the president of the freaking company is like, he's our alternate. So not only does he have a play in fight, but he has a play in fight to fight Magomed Magomed No offense to Leandro Ego you're fighting Jona Lugo and the winner gets to fight Leandro. No disrespect to anybody, but I feel like you guys got the better, better draw here. Is, is, is so, that uh, how you feel too? Yeah,
9: I agree for sure. But also Joshua sucks. I mean, he got that big <laughs> knockout. He had a good overhand right, I think it was, that knocked out his last opponent. But other than that, dude, Josh Hill sucks. I would fuck him up. I think it is actually kind of seated in this wild card situation. Um, Barzola is good. I see Barzola actually beating Josh Hill. Um, and then, of course, I beat Jornal Lugo. But, yeah, I-, I know Josh Hill was said to be the uh, alternate of it. Um, but I think even Scott Coker knows Joshua's not that good. He has power in his hands because he's a short little midget and, you know, he's very stocky, but he's not a very good fighter. I, I don't see him being good all around. And I actually see Barzola having his way with him.
2: You get to take a trip to Hawaii. That's, that's not too shabby, right? You get to fight for a million dollars. You get a fight that you've wanted for years and you get to do it in freaking Hawaii. I mean, it doesn't get much better than this, Danny.
9: No, it really doesn't. And plus I was supposed to fight. I think it was a month, maybe two months ago in St. Louis um, against a guy named Richie Palencia, who fucking backed out of the fight like a little bitch, of course. Um, and, and I was so pissed about it just because, man, I haven't fought in like 10 months and people keep ducking the fight. Um, so I was pissed about that. And then when I get this opportunity, fuck yeah, it's going to be in Hawaii instead of St. Louis. And it's going to be in the Grand Prix instead of just a normal fight against some nobody. So, yeah, it really, it really all played out. I just got to make the most of the opportunity. So, how many
2: fights have you been officially offered since the brett johns win
9: i think two um no three since brett johns um because i had the one where i was gonna fight and then i got corona I oh think that's that was right the johnny the campbell honor.
2: fight johnny campbell. johnny
9: campbell yeah i was there and then like the day before weigh-ins i got corona and they and they axed it which i mean man i was so fucking pissed about that that sucked especially because I know you can have corona and not have symptoms but i had no symptoms so i just kind of wanted to retest and they wouldn't let me but anyways that's that's in the past um and then i think two more times um but you know what it, it all worked out in the end like i keep saying and it's just it, it really is a dream come true i'm glad it played out this way and and i love where i'm at in the bracket um again i love jornal lugo i love that matchup He sucks. I think I dog him against Tigo. I think he only has jujitsu. So I think I kind of expose him that he's not really an all around fighter. Um, And and then I I just go from there.
2: I've spoken to you before your last couple of fights, even before the Johnny Campbell fight, even after the Johnny Campbell fight and the the Corona everything, you weren't this excited to fight anybody else. Like you have this look in your eye, like you were excited to fight Brett Johns. I think we had to deal with the weight cut and everything. So you're a little pissed about that. But you seem very excited about this. Why do you Why do you love this matchup so much from a stylistic perspective? Why do you think he sucks?
9: Yeah, he seemed just more of a point fighter. I saw his last fight, and then uh, I think the last one before that was Keith Lee, uh, where he rear naked choked the guy. Um, but against Brian Moore, I just feel like he was softball starting off the fight, kind of tapped him, tapped him, jabbed him. Doesn't really have much power in his hands. Uh, the fight didn't really go to the ground because neither of them have good grappling. So I know his ground game sucks. I know he's going to try to keep the fight mainly on the feet, but I, I think his, his uh, stand-up game sucks. I know he switches stances also. I think he's going to try to do that with me. I think he's going to try to be tricky, um. but it's just not going to happen. I think sooner or later, he's going to get to a point in the fight where he realizes he needs a finish. You know, he's got to knock me out. He's not going to submit me on the ground. My ground's too good. He's got to knock me out and he's going to get desperate. And sometimes when you get desperate, you get tired because you're just throwing everything behind it. And that's when you don't knock the guys out. Um, and then I, I think I just expose them. I mean, I played this fight out maybe 500 times already in my head, and, and I dominate him every single time. You know, I'm very excited because, you know, this is a fight that I think it's, it's going to have people saying – Okay, you know what? That fight against Brett Johns when he dominated him, that wasn't a fluke because look what he's doing against an 8 no guy that has a little bit of thunder that's also in this Grand Prix tournament. Um, and, and I think it's just going to be great for my career. I felt,
2: I mean, I felt from the get-go that you're the dark horse of this tournament without even being in it. And... A lot of people thought I was crazy for that, but maybe it's just because they don't, they're not all that familiar with you yet. I mean, it's just one of those things where we have a lot of new fans, a lot of new promotions. Maybe they weren't around to see your contender series fight when you're 30, 24 and 30, 23 fighters, not getting a contract. Here you are at Bellator. You spoil the debut of Brett Johns. And maybe a lot of people feel like, you know, maybe this isn't the most aesthetically pleasing style, but you've said it a million times. If you don't like it, get up and do something about it. And a lot of your past opponents had not been able to do that. So do you feel like is dark horse the right term here or do you feel like you're above that at this point?
9: No, I do think I'm a dark horse just because people don't know my name. Um, I think the people that do know my name don't consider me a dark horse. I bet a lot of people are going to be betting on me for this matchup and really throughout the tournament. Um, but just because I don't have, you know, a million followers on Instagram, I, I would consider myself a dark horse simply just because my name's not out there enough. Um, But I I will say my last fight wasn't aesthetically pleasing, but people got to keep in mind, I took that fight on about five days notice. So I think I do have high expectations from people. You know, I read the stuff online and when they're complaining about me not finishing a guy of Brett John's caliber on five days notice, that just shows people have pretty high expectations for me. So thank you. You know, that guy was, uh, I think he only lost to Pedro Munoz and Aljamain Sterling. Um, and if people are expecting me to finish a guy like that on five day notice, I, I'll take it. Maybe I'm not a dark horse. Maybe I'm a favorite in this tournament. Who knows if, if those are the expectations. But I mean, to me, it doesn't really matter. Uh, people can think what they want. It doesn't fucking matter. You know, if you like me, I like you. If you don't like me, go fuck yourself. It doesn't matter to me. It's all fun to me either way. Um, but yeah, I, I'm just pumped. And, and my fights going forward, now that I do have a full training camp, I mean, I'm just going to absolutely dog join out Lugo and it's going to be very exciting.
2: You're still at ATT, right?
9: Yeah, absolutely.
2: And how's the, how's the vibe over there right now? Because I know a lot has happened. Obviously, there's always big fights coming up. But over the last month or so, everything that happened with Mazadal and Colby and things that happened after Mazadal and Colby fought at UFC 272, how would you describe the vibe at ATT right now?
9: Yeah, it's not as chaotic as you think. Um, I think the management and the coaches do a good job of making everyone feel welcome and just kind of making it about themselves. But you know, it's hard to ignore the fact that when you go on Instagram and you see all beating the shit out of Colby and Colby being a bitch and pressing charges against him, and then Amanda Nunez leaving and then maybe Peter Yan coming back to American Top Team. You know, there's a lot going on. But I think the coaches do a good job of kind of distracting us from that. You know, having us take a deep breath, realize, you know what. Yes, these are our teammates, but th- these are our own careers and, and we have to worry about ourselves. So from the outsider's perspective, I, I bet you'd think, you know, if you stepped in the gym, there'd just be like so much fucking going on. But, you know, speaking for myself specifically, I'm just focused on this fight. Um, I even have another teammate in this tournament, Kyoji Horaguchi, that is on the other side. Um, he's actually like a good friend of mine. A lot of people don't know this, but he cornered me for my first four fights. Um, so there's a little bit going on there, but you know, when you're the best gym in the world and you have the best training partners and you have the best competition, this shit's gonna happen. People are gonna come and go, there's gonna be feuds, but honestly, these are good problems to have. You know, these smaller gyms wish they could have the problems American top team has. So, you know, it's 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 brutal sometimes, you know, sometimes don't play out the way you want it to, especially how Masvidal and Colby has played out. And, and I still don't think that's over, um, but you know, they're they're good problems. This only happens to the top guys anyways
2: think they fight again like not on the street but do you think like the UFC sees this as an opportunity to to rebook a rematch because that was my first thought before the charges are pressed I'm like we know what's going to happen here like they're just going to fight again because we didn't really we weren't clamoring for a rematch but after this we were all clamoring for a rematch. the charges might change things but if Colby comes out and just says I'll drop the charges if you fight me again inside the octagon like it seems like a no-brainer do you think these guys will fight again I do, and, and there's
9: just so much money behind that fight, too. <laughs> I think that, could, that could be one of the biggest fights in UFC history. I think, honestly, for both guys, it's dumb not to. They both hate each other. You know, I, I read this stuff sometimes online where people think it's an act. I'm telling you right now, Mastodal would try to murder Colby, and, and I'm sure it's the other way around, too, um, but I, I think it'd be dumb not to happen. I don't know if it's going to happen this year, next year, or the year after. I know uh, Mastodal is getting a little up there in age, but I do think that fight should happen and and it needs to happen and it's fun for everybody. You know, you two, both Colby and Maxwell, you two hate each other. Okay. Go fight again. And then also for the fans, this is fun for you. For management UFC, you'll make a bunch of money. It just makes too much sense for it not to happen.
2: Agreed. Have you and Kyoji discussed the ramifications of this or, or what could happen? I'm sure, you know, it's one fight at a time, but the way you think Danny you have to be thinking that you're going to be that lone name on the left side of the bracket, right? And you probably would favor Kyoji to be the lone man on the right side of the bracket. So have you guys discussed what might happen if that is the case?
9: You know, we haven't really talked about it since I've been in the tournaments, but we've had conversations before this about, you know what? We are probably the two best bantamweights in the world, and sooner or later, we're going to need to fight. Um, and, you know, that's just, that's what happens. You know, it's, it's no hard feelings. He's a, he's a really good friend. He's a teammate, but, but I'll fight anybody. You know, it doesn't matter. I'll fight my grandma. If my grandma's in a cage, sorry, grandma, thanks for the Masa Choli, but you're going down. You know, it, it, it doesn't matter who it is. I'm going to fight him. And he's the same way. He's a samurai. Um, he He's going to fight me as well. It, it, it's unfortunate. You obviously don't want that to happen, but yeah, we both, uh, I'm sure we both see each other in the finals and, And it's gonna be, it's still gonna be fun, you know. Just because we're friends and teammates, you know. Once I get into competition mode, and and you're staring at me in the face and trying to take away my goals and dreams, then then I'm a different Danny Sabatella than I am when you're my teammate. Um, But yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that that we might have to fight. But you know, this is the fight game, and it's a brutal business, and it is what it is.
2: What's the most important thing for you when it comes to this tournament? Is it just going through, proving people wrong, being the last man standing? Is it the money? Is it coming away with the interim title? Is it coming away with the opportunity to fight Sergio Pettis? This is the guy you called out like ASAP? As soon as you signed to the promotion, you wanted to fight Sergio Pettis. What's like the most important thing? Is it the money? Is it the interim title? Is it the chance to fight Sergio in a main event? What what sort of stands out in terms of goals for this Grand Prix?
9: Yeah, to me, it's just getting that belt. You know, my eyes are just focused on being the Bellator bantamweight champion of the world. And and right now, I think the bantamweight and Bellator is the best in of any promotion um so that speaks in itself and you know the money I- i'm not gonna lie the money is great of course i don't have a million dollars and i have a million dollars but you know there's a ton of people that have a million dollars out there there's only one belt bellator bantamweight champion in the world so that's what i'm seeking after um i don't care what anybody says about you know interim belts or whatever this is for the belts just because sergio pettis couldn't make it to the battlefield doesn't mean that this is for the interim belt the winner of this tournament it's going to be me but if it's not is the champion that's that I don't care what anybody says. Um, there's too much depth in this tournament for someone to be short-handed, uh, a belt, you know. Um, but of course, when you win the tournament, Sergio is going to be first in line. So um, yeah, to me, uh, it, it's win this belt, and then obviously we'll go from there. I'll fight Sergio after that, and I'll and I'll absolutely beat the shit out of him. You know, I only call him out because I think that's an easy fight for me, you know, stylistically, very easy fight for me. And he has the belt. Of course, I'm going to call off the champ because I want to be champ. You know, right now he is the champ and he sucks. And I would absolutely beat the shit out of him. It's unfortunate that I can't prove it. But, you know, eventually I will once I do have that belt. And once I am champion of this Grand Prix tournament.
2: We are looking forward to that last thing. What's the message for Jornal Lugo for the rest of your side of the of the bracket, for the other side of the bracket, for all the bantamweights that that are in this Grand Prix? What is the message to everybody?
9: You're going to be getting the best Danny Sabatello and you are all fucked.
2: Well said. We will leave it at that. Danny, congratulations on getting your opportunity. I know you've wanted this since, since we, since this tournament was discussed and announced and now you're in, you have a chance to play some spoiler here. So congratulations on that. All the best to you. The rest of this camp, we'll see you the end of next month in Hawaii for your chance to, uh to fight for that million bucks later on this year.
9: Awesome. Thanks for having me on, Mike